Time for some Wheel Nerds. Hi, and welcome to Wheel Nerds. This is episode 31. I'm Todd. And I'm Chuck. We're here to talk about motorcycles. And making shit up. It's <laughs> kind of how we roll around here. <laughs> <laughs> and ad of the week. <laughs> We're going to start with the ad of the week because it is it is an excellent ad of the week. This is... Really made up. I, it, wow. Sent in by uh, Jorge. <clears throat> mm-hmm. This is a Cafe Racer, 76 CB750 Super Sport, very fast, runs great, all in caps. $1,000. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Can you call something built in 1976 a Super Sport? I, yeah, right there. He did it. <laughs> he went there, Chuck. You can't stop him. I guess. Okay, here we go. I have reduced the price due to lowballers trying to haggle me over the phone, along with telling me what color you're going to paint it and what changes you're going to make, what you're going to do when you get it. Question is, do you actually have the money in your hand? <gasps> or are you all bullshit? I'm here to do business and not talk and haggle with drunks over the phone, so if you're serious and have the money in your hand, call me. Otherwise, continue doing this before your wife twists your nuts. No offense, but this machine is a beast and worthwhile more than you can offer, but to meet your needs, I have reduced the price. I live near Yorktown and Cimarron, and I ride this bike every day. Runs great. Very fast. New tires. Clear title. Everything works. Speedometer and Tachometer works. Wow. <laughs> Gets 38 miles per gallon. <laughs> Asking $1,000 OBO would make a great cafe racer if you completed, you completed with We're small rear end details. We'll get up to 130 <laughs> miles an hour. This is a must see. Uh, wow. Um, where, do you, uh, uh, where do you start with that? Let's start with 130. <laughs> Nuh-uh. I say. Well, you know, 130 indicated. <laughs> that I could believe. <laughs> and a speedometer works. Yes. He says. Ish. <laughs> As does the tachometer. This is a 1976 cafe racer. Would be a great cafe racer. Yes. So basically, this is this is like a, a bog standard UJM, uh-huh. is what this is. And uh-huh. he's like, cut a few things on it to make it cafe E. Because, you know, new age fun with the... Vintage feel. Yeah, that's how we roll. 38 miles to the gallon. I don't know what he's done to make it got 38 miles to a gallon, but that's not so good for a four-banger 750. I mean, granted, they didn't get great mileage at the time, but even so, my GS got better miles than that. He's trying to get it up to 130 miles an hour all the time. (laughs) Flogging it. (laughs) (laughs) He's, you know, trying to get away from... You know, when I've sold a couple bikes, I've yet to have people call me on the phone and talk to me about what they're going to do with the bike. Yeah. Or or say much more than, do you have it? Yeah. You have bike? Yes. Title? Mm-hmm. I don't know how they roll in Yorktown, but <laughs> apparently they want to talk about it. They're a chatty, chatty bunch. Chatty bunch there in Yorktown. <laughs> so I was thinking this bike, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna take the the Buell, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna ride all over with it, and I'm gonna go on trails, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna see things, and I'm gonna carry food in it, and and put in cups. Fuck and you. Then, <laughs> About the Buell. Magic sparkles. Shut up. <laughs> Magic sparkles. Nobody likes you. <laughs> what? I'm, I'm telling you about my experiences that I plan to have with the bike. With the Buell? Yes. I'm going to kill you. 
Really, I'm dreaming of setting it on fire. But <laughs> I think I think technically you're in line in front of me for that. That that sounds more like the Todd I know. You know, I still I, I still haven't heard back on the Buell. It's a heap of molten metal <laughs> right now on the floor. It's sitting in the middle floor and they can't move it because it's fused to the cement floor. And they're like, should we call him? Oh, uh, uh, why don't you call him? No, no, dude. No, yo, you you it's, call him. It's sprouted tentacles and it's like waving one of the mechanics in the air over it. <laughs> the others are like beating at it with crowbars. <laughs> Don't let it get into the spare parts, Ben. <laughs> It'll just grow stronger. Uh, you know what's funny is I, I've been ghosting uh, Bad Web, mm-hmm. and I've found a couple other guys with my exact same problem. Really? Like down to the letter. Wow. And the solution was? Well, everyone's still kind of chasing their tails about it with, have you checked your ECM? <laughs> like, yes, I've checked it. It's screwed down. There's no cracks. Nothing's wrong. I still think it's something with your ECM. Well, that's that's like that's like saying I think it's the problem with the car. <laughs> What's wrong with your car? Well, your car system is uh, not carring enough. And uh... I'm, I, as far as I can tell, I'm the only one with the with the bike actually in a shop. Yeah, everyone else trying is trying to chase it down themselves. Well, the other thing about an ECM is an ECM failure is usually just goes bleh. <laughs> that's that. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's a digital system. It, it's gonna pretty much just shit the bed and that's that well you know that it's is uh the yuli i guess has uh strange and mysterious <laughs> well it's had tendencies to rub through wires here and there and mm-hmm, mm-hmm. make okay. pro- problems of an intermittent nature new and different wiring systems yes but and the guys are like you know i've, I've looked at the wire. i'm looking at the wire right fucking now it's fine <laughs> <laughs> Well, I think. <laughs> yeah. And the guy is, one guy in particular, exact, exact same issue I'm having. Hmm. I mean, all he needed was a guy named Todd saying, yeah, it sounded like it was shooting at me. <laughs> <laughs> and that would have been that. Yes. Well, on the bright side, the Thruxton's doing good. The Thruxton's doing great. I wrote it today in uh, some, 16 degree weather. <laughs> you have some adorable new luggage for it. Yeah. I'm really sorry about that. Uh, yeah. So if you remembered last time we talked about these bags I had bought. These cool looking bags. And they they got they were delivered. And uh, Roger, if you're listening, this would make an adorable purse for the Vespa. This uh, so it it's this cool looking Swiss tool bag or something. Yeah, it does leather look, and like greenish canvas. It looks cool, cool but it's things. It's like twelve inches by four inches. It's teeny. I, I'm not sure. Eight. I mean, you couldn't get a laptop in it. Maybe a netbook. Uh, you could get like an iPad in it. Yeah, this is the going to be the new. I'm going to sell these for 200 bucks a piece to iPad users. <laughs> is what vintage I'm going to do. IPad. These are vintage iPad cases. These are these are ancient Swiss Army iPad cases. We'll need to emboss an Apple in there somewhere. Mm-hmm. Well, they're uh, they're ooh, they got a metal thing on the top. It's on the be. handle. Yeah, I mean, it's a cool bag. Yep. Um it's a little small for, and I think a little out of place for the Thruxton. Mm-hmm. I think it's perfect for, for the uh, the Ural. Yeah, well, I'm definitely going to use this tool so, bag. So, uh, Merry Christmas, Todd. Thank and you. You've got two new purses. I have two cute, adorable little purses with actual dings from being carried around by Swiss Army guys. Yeah, yeah. Now, the bright side of this story is when my wife saw me cart these things in the house, she said, damn you, Todd, and then <laughs> promptly gave me one of my Christmas presents, which turns out to be a U.S. surplus 
Uh, this looks like it'll, it'll be a real side bag. It's a, it's a grown-up size bag. It's a grown-up bag. Mm-hmm. Not fun size. Not quite as rigid, but uh, but definitely can hold more than an iPad. Uh, yeah, it's definitely a soft bag, and I'm going to have to look into seeing what I can do for mounting options for the Thruxton. Or, you know, this could just be a tail bag by itself. You could build something out of wood. I could. But then you have Roger. splinters in your ass. Shut up. Okay, I just want to say... I bounced the uh, the notion of building a sidecar out of wood on a professionally made frame off of my wife. You know what she said? She said, no, I'm going to have splinters in my ass. <laughs> Thanks, Roger. <laughs> Guests always getting the better of us. Yeah, I know, right? But yeah, so so vintage bags, uh, fun size and uh, grown-up size. Grown-up size, grown-up. Available online. Too. I just got to say, I've, I've got a, a real winner for a wife. Because this bag is... That is pretty rad. <laughs> it's pretty cool, right? I, I feel all kinds of vintage authentic. Mm-hmm. You know what's funny is I, I get the triumph. Oh, look at these buckles. You, they oh, yeah. got wear hey, marks and everything. I'm sure somebody didn't sit there with a rock banging them for 12, 16 hours before sending nope. it out. I reckon some soldier's carrying his weed net. It smells authentic, too. It smells like wow. dirty, sweaty men in you the really jungle. smell like dirty, sweaty men. <laughs> Why do you have your head in the bag? <laughs> I'm living the adventure. It's like a child. Adventure <laughs> bag, adventure purse, <laughs> adventure purse. You know, now that I'm part of the uh, the Triumph Group, Rat, whatever it's called. There's some cool spiffy name for it that marketing came up with. Radco. I get a dudes. Uh, I get a uh, writers uh, writers associated with Triumph. I don't know. They're I'm working on something insulting. Go on while I work. They're gonna they're gonna come and take my bike away from me. <laughs> They're going to revoke the card. Uh, they sent out a magazine. Yeah. A okay. Triumph magazine. Triumph magazine. Okay. And I flipped it open. The first thing I saw was the second in a series of Steve McQueen-inspired jackets. <laughs> well, now you've got the bag. Now I've got the bag. Because the first one was the military fatigue-looking one mm-hmm. that yeah. was inspired by Steve McQueen jumping over the fence. Sure. Yeah. yeah. On the yeah, British bike made up to look at a beamer. Yeah. Go on. Yeah. You know, now this this new one kind of looks more like a 60s racer-ish mm-hmm. kind of jacket. Very Steve McQueen. Yep. And Triumph has got that Bonneville, I guess, or New Scrambler that's mm-hmm. coming out, that yep. Steve McQueen edition. Oh, yes. They are milking the Steve McQueen. For everything it's worth. <laughs> Good Lord. I, I'm, I'm, even I am not that vintage You can be cool like Steve McQueen. I acknowledge right now that I can't. <laughs> it ain't going to happen. No. Hey. <laughs> Look, I have Steve McQueen paraphernalia. I'm I, a mug. Yeah, because eventually I have to take my shirt off, and <laughs> it just all goes to tears. <laughs> but yeah, I rode the Thruxton, sixteen degree weather. Yeah, it was uh, brisk. The, your driveway is starting to look a little sketchball. Well, that's because I put twenty pounds of salt on it. That's salt. That's not ice. Okay, all that's right. salt. Okay, I salted the crap out of that thing because uh, you know I was gone for a week. Yeah, and it snowed here, I guess. Mm-hmm. And the person who was house sitting didn't shovel. Oh, so it cute. was yesterday. It was like an inch of icy snow wow. stuff. So I put enough salt on there to kill a bunch of Italians. Fair enough. <laughs> so, because my rule is, I'm gonna try to keep riding as long as I can make it down the driveway. Mm-hmm. Okay. Watch out for the ice on the road. I have encountered a few spots with a little bit of snow. Oh man, I've been places. terrified of that. Any, anywhere like the the side of my uh, office building that's in the shade, mm-hmm. the snow and ice just live there. They don't they don't go away. Mm-hmm. I've been really scared of that, especially at night coming home. Oh yeah, because you see the black patches that are slightly mm-hmm. shiny. Yeah. In the summer, that you're just like, oh, that's just tar, tar water, whatever. Here now, you're like, <laughs> oh god. <laughs> 
because I am a I am a very scared writer, which turns out to be a good thing, as we'll find out later. Yes, indeed. <laughs> Foreshadowing. Speaking of writing, I want I want to give a big shout out to all my winter riding buddies who I see on my commute every day. Yo, old guy on blue Harley, keep it up, man. You're looking good. Red and silver metric cruiser dudes. Yeah, what's up? These guys are you know riding suits. Fat guy on the black sport bike. What's up, bro? <laughs> this guy is like a bear in a tricycle, but. What's up, man? You rock. And then Scooter, Scooter Bra. I don't know what Scooter Bra's deal is, but Scooter, Scooter Bra rolls out of the, the complex and rides down the road and then turns off two blocks later, but he's always there the same time I come through. Okay. It's freaking me out. I haven't seen anybody except the Scooter guy. Yeah? Yeah, I haven't seen anyone on bikes. Well, you're not you're not riding the same road I am. Clearly. Of course, I, I just spent the last week in Vegas. Good point. <laughs> I get the I get I get calls and messages from people whose wives and friends see me. They're like, "Hey, are you out on your sidecar riding? My wife thinks you're nuts." I'm like, oh god. It was 65 degrees the whole week. Uh, <laughs> it's not that warm here. <laughs> but yeah, today it was 16. Yeah, on which pin locks. How's that working out? Uh, it works very well. They will develop moisture on the inside. Just from your breath, like oh. you know, because like it's cold enough now that if you're sitting in a traffic light, you can watch the clouds. Like there are weather systems forming inside my helmet. I can see the clouds in front of my vision drifting about. Yeah, you open your visor and it's like a smokestack coming. Yeah, that's unbelievable. <laughs> but so you eventually will get a little bit of condensation on them. You know, it doesn't get between the lenses, but it does get on the backside. Is it um, like? Uh the condensation that comes with that defog it stuff? It's a little bit like that, yeah. Okay. It does freeze up if you let it sit there long enough, but it does come off a lot faster than it seems to on an actual lens. So, so far it's been pretty manageable. You know, I just, I crack the visor a little bit and mm-hmm. ride very little and it just goes right away. Mm-hmm. So I, I think in general the pin lock is really the way to go. It's good. Cool. It is a colossal pain in the ass to get adjusted right. Um, <laughs> you will, you will, the, the, the urge, and one of our listeners mentioned this, the urge to dick around with it. It's tremendous. Why? Just because of the edge? Well, 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 the edge and then, like, you know, just, like, making sure you have the adjustment rights and, you know, good and sealed and all that kind of crap, like, moving it up and down and all this kind of crap. But it's a real pain in the ass to do so. So I've I've adopted a new policy of don't fuck with it. (laughs) It's working. Don't fuck with it. (laughs) I'm thinking, like, maybe if I just mop off a little of the inside. No. Do you have the clear one? or I have clear on clear, yeah. Okay. Just because it's dark a lot of the time when I go to work and dark when I come mm, home. Yeah, yeah. I, I can totally see the appeal of grabbing like a yellow one or like yeah, yeah, a yeah. light smoke one. Yeah. I might have to get one because the defog, it's, it's working for me. Right until it doesn't. Right until it doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> what bugs me the most about the defog is I'll always miss a spot. Oh, yeah. And that's the spot right in front of my eye that just fogs over. <laughs> <laughs> the thing I've noticed with a pin lock, fogs like right in front of my nose, of course, because that's what I'm breathing. Yeah. And then it fogs up at the top and it starts to kind of march its way down the fogger visor. Uh-huh. And, you know, if you pop crack it open, that'll go back up. But uh, it never gets over the space where your eyes are. Like it sort of avoids those. I don't know if that's by design or if that's just luck or the nature of the beast. But Oh, whatever. you know, another thing you should do with winter riding, mm. cold weather riding, you should zip up your heated liner. Yeah? Yeah, I'm just saying. Does that work pretty well? That that uh, makes a, a lot of difference. Yeah, I was, I was running. I had to run at half power today, which I, I haven't was, had to do yet. I run full power. Of course, I don't have a fairing at all whatsoever. <laughs> There's a giant fairing I'm behind. I love the fairing. Fairings are for Oh, my God, so good. Fairings are for pussies. Oh, man. <laughs> I don't care. It's that good. It's really nice back there. You know, it's really weird because I, I, I hit this equilibrium of being cold yet warm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's a very odd your, feeling. Your core is warm, but your extremities are all miserable. No, no, no. It's like my core feels cold and warm at the same time. It's this really odd feeling. Chuck, 
Are you okay? Uh, you know what? I found myself <laughs> questioning whether I was cold or warm. Mm. It was it was this weird, indescribable feeling, which I'm guessing you never got before yet. Well, you know, right before hypothermia really kicks in bad, <laughs> Shut you off. start to feel warm again. I'm not no, making this up. I know. It wasn't <laughs> hypothermia. Okay. <laughs> It wasn't that. It was a. It was an. Uh, it was a weird feeling. Like uh, I couldn't really identify the sensation. No, I, I kind of know what you mean. It, it's, it's it's the cold and the warm kind of blended together. Yeah. So I could feel it, but it wasn't uncomfortable. And I think what that is is it's different parts of your body experiencing different things, and the brain's kind of like whoa, mashing it all. Whoa, together. whoa. Because when you're riding, the, you know, the cold starts at your chest, mm-hmm. your zipper line, even though yep. it's covered. And it yep. sort of spreads from there, and it, mm-hmm. you still got your warm in your shoulder blades and your mm-hmm. arms. Yep. Um, it was a really weird feeling. Hmm. And I was like, well, I'm not uncomfortable, so... But it's also the first time I've run with the liner mm-hmm. where it wasn't just warm. It wasn't just, yes, this is warm and toasty. And now mm. it was like actually having... Oh, thank this, God. <laughs> yeah. It was having the struggle with the weather. Yeah, it's, it's, <laughs> it's, it's a different... Different thing. People are like, oh, you got the lighter. It's nice, toasty, la, 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 la. Yeah, 16 degrees is another, it's another world. That's when you're like, thank God I'm, you know, gauzy, the suit. Yeah. Thank God. (laughs) You know, that and warm and safe, the liner, thank Mm -hmm. you. The neck gaiter, the big thick gloves. Oh, yeah. I get colder walking across the parking lot to get coffee than I do riding in now. Because, like, when you walk out to your bike in the morning, well, I walk out to the bike, you go to your garage. My garage, yeah. I walk out to my garage where the bike is, and I'm in this freaking giant suit. So I'm like, la, 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 not so cold. I get in, get off the bike, and I go to walk in the building. La, 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 not so cold. I leave the suit off, and I put on, you know, like a sweater inside work, and I go to walk across the parking lot to get coffee, and I'm like, oh, oh my God, <laughs> it's so cold. I don't like it. <laughs> You're trying to plug your sweater into an outlet. Yeah, I'm like, God, give me something to plug it in. This is terrible. <laughs> what did they ever do before electrics? I don't know, but I bet it sucked. <laughs> I'm just my one complaint is my my delicate little footsies are cold. <laughs> I'm really? rocking. Uh, well, I'm. You know, the funny thing is, is that I couldn't figure it out, and then I was looking at the design of the thing. The feet are a little below the cylinders, and they're the only thing that protrudes from behind the cylinders of the fairing. Yeah, and. I'm just wearing like leather boots. I mean, they're not like anything yeah, special. Yeah, your boots are pretty similar to mine. Yeah, they're just they're just basic, basic leather boots. Basic motorcycle boots. Yeah. yeah, no. So I think what's happening is a lot of uh, a lot of wind is getting channeled onto them, huh. and then they're just not very warm. I mean, I got like good ski socks and stuff like that. But I mean, you you feel the outside of the boots, and they're like cold, Way cold. Like, yeah. like they feel like they've been in a freezer because they sort of have. But <laughs> think about see. that. Sixteen degrees mm-hmm. at sixty miles an hour. The wind chill works 60. out to be. <laughs> yeah, but. Yeah, and so I'm I'm figuring out what to do there. It may just mean better boots. Yeah, that's a I don't, I don't have that problem with mine. Well, yours are a little, I think, better protected than mine are, frankly. Mm, um, they must be because our, our minor, boots are the same. I'm just wearing yeah. regular cotton socks. Huh, interesting. Yeah, I don't know. I think it's something. I think it's something to do with where they are and how they are and how the fairings. They must. Well, they're kind, you know, I guess they're kind of tucked in more. I guess that's almost a certainty because I can't really tuck mine very far in yeah. on the Ural because it's. Weird you're you're just kind of sticking out there. Mm-hmm. Yep. You should ride tomorrow with your feet sticking out like you, like you were on uh, cruiser bars or something, and see how that feels. Yeah, you you keep you kick the carb when you try to do that. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes your, I'll put a foot up on the sidecar frame. You and your lousy Russian bike. Yeah. So winter riding. Winter riding. Still a go. Still a go. No, Still a go. No surrender. No. No surrender. I do not surrender to winter. But. I, well, whining, that's that's okay. <laughs> I do that a lot. See, I've only got two wheels, so I'm, I've am i got that perfect escape hatch of... Mm-hmm. Well, I, I saw ah! some ice. <laughs> oh, run! 
Saw some ice. I have an excuse. Not that I'm a weenie. There's an ice ice somewhere out there. Ice. 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 Scary. Ice. Dangerous. Live in fear. So we have a, an interview this week. A yeah. Two-parter. First a two-parter. The first half of our interview with David Huff. How do so, you know it's not David who? Because it says so in his books. It's spelled like dough. It says Huff, pronounced like rough. Oh. In front of his inside the front cover. That's Let's hear from David. This is the first half of our interview with him. We'll give you the second half next week. All right. Okay, so we're on with David Huff, author of Proficient Motorcycling, Street Strategies, More Proficient Motorcycling, The Step Program, More, More Proficient Motorcycling, I assume is the next book, David? Well, yeah, the um, I'm trying to get him to change the name because too many people ask me, oh, what's the difference between Proficient Motorcycling and More Proficient Motorcycling? Because the covers look the same and mm-hmm. people think, well, am I just buying the same thing over again? Well, it's got the so, word more in the title. Yeah, well, it's more so. <laughs> right. It's like one more. Anyway, I'm, I have turned in a, uh, essentially a second edition mm. of more proficient motorcycling, and I'm pushing really, really hard on Bowtie Press to rename that Mastering the Ride, which was the subtitle. Ah, okay, yep. And come up with a completely different cover and different title so people will understand right off that it's a different book. And what I've written on that is about 90% of it is new, so I don't know. Maybe they'll just make it a new book. Maybe uh, they'll just slap a sticker that says Extreme. Yeah, anyway, a lot more proficient motorcycling. Code have, red. They have all the stuff at the publisher now. I don't know. The editor is probably using it to hold up a corner of his desk or something. You know. <laughs> so no schedule on when we'll be seeing that on shelves. Well, they wanted to have it out by the spring of 2012, but so I worked feverishly all spring, you know, getting this stuff together, and got it to them by the end of July, and it set, <laughs> set. Do they do a side business as a motorcycle dealership? (laughs) (laughs) I guess the first question i got to ask you, David Huff, author of many, many safety books and a safety program, is what is your preferred wheelie technique? My preferred wheelie technique is actually to fly the sidecar. Nice! (laughs) (laughs) A man after my own heart. Well, (laughs) I don't... You know, there are people who say that, uh, you know, flying the sidecar is this dangerous stunt. Uh, I disagree. Uh, I think it is a is a requisite skill for being able to drive a three wheeler. Mm-hmm. You know, if you don't know what to do when that wheel comes off the ground, well, what are you going to do? <laughs> you know? So uh, I think people should learn to fly the car on purpose. And as a matter of fact, I think two wheeled motorcyclists should go take the sidecar track education program just to get their feet wet in driving three wheelers. There are some lessons that can be learned driving three wheelers that you can apply to two wheelers. I'm I'm curious what. Well, for instance, if you go to take uh, Keith Code's cornering school, he has a machine called the Lean Machine. And mm. what it is is it's a sport bike with outriggers so that you can Training exceed wheels. traction without killing yourself. You know huh. what I mean? You can, yeah. you can break either end loose and not fall down. It'll it'll go kind of cattywampus, but it won't fall down on the ground and slide. So mm-hmm. with a sidecar outfit... Uh, one of the exercises that I wrote into the course originally was that you come down the braking chute and you overbrake on the front. You grab, you just lock up the Blow front. You, know, you lock it up and you slide it. Mm-hmm. And what you'll discover is that a sliding tire has no directional control. So, you know, well, with a two-wheeler, it's the same thing. If you lock up your tire on a two-wheeler, the reason that you will probably crash is because you can't steer anymore. And, and the other thing you'll learn about that is that maximum traction is when the tire is still rolling. You actually lose traction when the tire slides. So the idea that you're going to jam on the brakes and come to a quick stop, sorry, but if you (laughs) slide your tires, you're not going to come to as quick a stop as if you weren't sliding the tires. 
Right, if you break hmm. your friction loose, then... Yeah, and a coefficient of sliding friction is less than coefficient of static friction. Oh, my God, how do I remember that? <laughs> well, I don't know, but, you know, in terms of this motorcycle, uh, maximum traction occurs when you're at about 15% slip, according to my source. Wow, we just got out-nerded. <laughs> wow. <laughs> well, I would I would hope he's out safety <laughs> And, and incidentally, uh, I think the idea that I teach safety, sorry, um, nobody can teach safety. What I work on is I work on skills. Mm-hmm. And if you tell me what it is that you think you want to do with a motorcycle, I can probably help you manage the risks. But motorcycle safety is an oxymoron. And I'm coming more and more to realize that, incidentally. Motorcycling is extremely dangerous, and it's sort of the, um, it's motorcycling's dirty little secret, if you will. You know, I'm, I'm not sure a lot of people I've met don't know that secret. Yeah, well, that, that doesn't seem like a, such a little secret, you well, know. Let me ask you this. How dangerous do you think motorcycling is? Would you say that an experienced, uh, skilled, knowledgeable motorcyclist has, uh, in, let's, let's rate this in terms of the average car driver, okay? If you were to rate yourself against a car driver, are you more safe, less safe? Are you more likely to die, less likely? And if so, by how much? What would you say? I'm gonna I'm gonna go for myself with more safe but more likely to die. <laughs> how, how much more likely? <laughs> um, <You>? Some. <laughs> well, some. How much would you accept? Would you accept twice? I, I think it'd be it's much more might. than twice. I think okay. I'd accept twice. You'd accept uh, five times the risk. Would you accept ten times the risk? I think I'd take ten. I might even would, take a little would, higher than ten because I'm a skier. Yeah. Okay. Would you accept fifty times the risk of a car driver? Wow. Because that's what you're doing right now. Interesting. And I don't think most motorcyclists understand that. I don't think most people comprehend how dangerous it is because when I said it's the dirty little secret, uh, the industry takes, um, it, it goes to great lengths to make sure that you don't understand what the risks really are. Well, sure. If they say if you get your proper training, you wear your proper gear, you're yeah, you wear safer. Your helmet, you, you wear your, uh, uh, you know, lime green uh, glowing vest. You, uh, You've uh, met our friend. Yeah, <laughs> and, and, and you'll be safe. Well, bullshit. So you, you won't be safe, you know. Now, you can be safer than if you ride stupidly, but the idea that you can somehow, uh, you know, get through motorcycling alive and, and have a lot of fun and take a lot of risks, uh, you know, no, it ain't happening. And I'm basing this not on whether I know how you guys ride or how I ride, but rather what the, uh, what the bottom line is. Uh, you know, how many fatalities are occurring and so forth. I have a friend who is really, he's really disturbed right now because he, he knows some of this data and he knows that nobody wants to hear this data. You know, if you're riding a motorcycle, do you want to hear that it's, that you're 50 times more likely to die, you know, than if you're in a car? I love it when people at work tell me, oh my God, you're going to die on that thing. It's yeah, so I, unsafe and dares lead you. I we, love hearing that. We hear it every day from people all around us, but we tend to think of them as not knowing what they're talking about. Damn yeah, well, <laughs> now we're talking to someone who knows. <laughs> I had a guy call me from New York. He always had the hot to get a Vespa scooter, and he lives in and works in New York, so he's in traffic. Does he need a purse? Because we know someone who sells them. <laughs> well, he, he probably makes them. <laughs> but anyway, he calls me up out of the blue. He tracks me down. And what he wants to know, basically, is, is, is he likely to get severely injured? Because he doesn't want to get injured. And what he did is, after years of wanting a Vespa and his mother saying, don't you get a motorcycle or a scooter? Don't you do that? They're dangerous, you know. Anyway, so he finally decided at age 
35 or whatever it's time that he that he cut their apron strings and so he just went down to the local dealer that he passed by and, and bought one and so the guy wheels him out the door you know turns him loose and says here right around the block a few times <laughs> and right around the block and he realizes how really crazy this is in traffic on this little dinky two-wheeler you know so he says look uh, is there any way right now um, I, I could just give this back to you and we could tear up the paper and you know. <laughs> and and the salesman says oh no you'll be fine you know it's not as bad as it looks yada 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 and he holds his hand you know and he well not really I, what <laughs> that got weird does he give well, him a hug you know, but he, but he uh, tries to calm him down and and tell him that everybody has the you know the jitters when they first start riding, but it'll be all right. So he continues to ride. Well, he's of course seen all sorts of weird things go on out there in traffic, and so so he asked me, look, you know, I I hear about these people who are in wheelchairs, you know, they're vegetables, uh, you know, and I I don't want to do that. Well, he talked for a while, and it was his nickel, you know. So I thought, what the heck, you know? I mean, I'm not sure who. Who voted me the uh, you know the motorcyclist guru or or you know shrink or whatnot? Anyway, here here was this guy. On the phone. <laughs> We're just summing up, and I was just about to tell him the bottom line, and somebody says the police are ticketing your scooter. <laughs> just so right outside his door during the call, the police were stopping a ticket on his scooter for probably be on the sidewalk or something. <laughs> Basically, you know we weren't ready to end that call, but it was fine by me to end it. He'd been on long enough, you know. So I said, "Look, the bottom line is your mother is right." And here he, I was supposed to be his guru. You know, he thought that I would pat him on the back or pat him on the head or whatever, you know, and tell him everything was going to be fine. And I was here telling him, "No, your mother's right." It's not going to be fine. You could end up a vegetable, you know. And basically, if it makes you nervous, don't do it. So how many salesmen have you ever heard tell you that? None. But uh, <laughs> Zero. Going on well, zero. <laughs> so, David, the obvious question that comes up is, uh, why do you ride? Well, and now um, this is the part where he's like, I don't. Are you kidding? <laughs> I'm driving an Audi. <laughs> well, as a matter of fact, I'm tapering off. I'm, I'm 74 years old, and I crashed a year ago. It injured my my nerve, if you will. Mm-hmm. Now, for years and years, I have felt, okay, the odds are great. I didn't realize how hazardous it really was. I never did really comprehend that until just recently, when I really looked at the numbers. But uh, I thought, well, yeah, it's more dangerous than driving a car, but if you're really good, if you uh, you know pay attention to what's going on, you, you know exactly how to control your bike, you go out and you practice cornering and swerving and braking and, and this sort of thing, that you can beat the odds and you can be proud that you're able to ride one of these dangerous things out in traffic and survive. Mm-hmm. You know, the source of some of some joy. And it's not unlike the guy who leaps off of a mountain with a or a bridge or something with a parachute on his back. You know, there's it's it's type T. We like the risk. We get a great deal out of the risk. You know, we don't have the right kind of risk in the society that we're part of these days. When when we were cavemen out there worrying about whether or not, you know, Tyrannosaurus Rex or saber-toothed tiger, whoever was going to get us as we stepped out the cage, you know, that's pretty exciting. And uh, our brains are equipped for this, uh, you know, immediate action to danger sort of thing. It pumps us up. Okay, I got to admit that if there's somebody on your tail who is putting on her lipstick or doing texting, you know, and they're six inches right behind you, that you could get justifiably excited or nervous about that. But 
it's, it's not quite the same as the old saber-toothed tiger. So uh, what people have to do is go out and take unnecessary risks. People say, well, you know, I'm going to... I'm going to mountain climb. There's some ad out. It's an ad about this woman who buys a few things. She and her boyfriend go climbing this this rock somewhere in the southwest. You know, this thing is sharp, and it goes up in the air, and she gets right up on top of this thing and stands up on it. Oh, my God. That You know, just <laughs> looking at that, uh, you know, panics me. But there are people <laughs> who, who want to do that. Have you ever seen that ad? No. No, but I, I know those people. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well... The people that need to take risks, and to some degree, I almost feel sorry for the badass bikers around who want to look mean and risky. I mean, here's the guy with his ape hangers, and all he's wearing is his T-shirt and his colors and, and his jeans with a wallet with a big horrendous chain hanging on it, you know, and that's sort of <laughs> And, uh, you know, you, you know those guys, too. They're, they're right up the block there. <laughs> and, we We've seen uh, them. <laughs> so, he's, so he's riding his scoot down the street, you know, and he wants people to look at him and say, oh, wow, look look at that badass biker. He looks really mean. Boy, he must really take risks in life. He's a really a dangerous kind of a guy. I well, bet he's an accountant. He's probably, he's probably an off-duty cop. You know, Harley Davidson makes stick-on tattoos. You know that, don't you? <laughs> oh, really? You, you can go to the catalog and you can buy temporary tattoos so that you can be an accountant or a cop or, you know, a detective or somebody during the week. And then on the weekends, you put on your temporary tattoo, and by the time Sunday night rolls around, you wash it off. The problem is, here's here's the badass biker. And uh, in the good old days, to be a genuine badass biker, right off, you had to go steal the bike. You know, sure. the idea of buying a bike, that was, that was not part of the deal. You had to go steal a bike, you know, and then chop it or do whatever you had to do to it, you know, to get your machine, and you had to, you know, create your colors and join a club and... and what do, they, what do they call the guys who are or prospects? You had to prospects, be a prospect, yeah. you know, and do all sorts of, I don't know, drink from the spittoon or whatever, and, you know, and eventually you'd become a full member and you could wear the club colors. Uh, well, that's a lot of work. And so today... We'll <laughs> that's hard. <laughs> I don't want to. I have to go to work on Monday. <laughs> yeah, well, after drinking from a spittoon, are you kidding? <laughs> so here's the, here's the genuine badass biker who has gone through all of these hoops. He's a genuine badass biker, and he earned it the hard way. You know, now, up the street comes another guy, and he's got a chopper, except that it came off the factory floor. Harley-Davidson or somebody, you know, built it that way. They, you know, they, they gave it the look that, you know, the bobtail and the uh, kicked-out front end and the high handlebars and all that sort of thing. Picked it right out of the catalog. And, mm-hmm. uh, all he did is march into the store and plop down his credit card, and out the door he went. And he had the do rag on his head, and he had the you know the vest, and he had all the stuff. Except he didn't earn it; he just bought it. Well, in fairness, with the state of financing right now, that that's pretty hardcore. <laughs> <laughs> Have you tried to qualify for a loan? <laughs> you got a you got a good point there, but. But overall, what I'm saying is you have to feel a little bit sorry for the real badass biker, don't you? You know, in terms of him being this risk taker, um, you know, thief and all this stuff. And here's this other guy who just purchased the stuff. Even Mr. Badass Biker, compared to somebody who, you know, jumps out of a perfectly good airplane for no reason other than he's got a shoot on. Or have you seen these uh, videos of the people in Norway who... They have suits that have... Um, the wing suits. There's a wing, and there's the jetpack guy who, uh, yeah, just yes, this I, past I, couple of weeks, he was flying in formation with fighter jets. Yeah, <laughs> I think I saw that. Anyway, but, but those people now, that really looks like Type T to me. 
You know, I mean, if you want behavior where you could get killed at any minute, that looks like a real prime one. <laughs> and yet people want to do it. They want to take that risk and uh, and get the thrill of being able to land on your two feet at the bottom of the valley alive, which is not guaranteed. That's what's Sorry. been on my mind recently is, you know, the actual risks and the fact that I, I would say that if you if you asked 100 motorcyclists what, what the risks are, A, they wouldn't want to talk about it because yeah. talking about the risks probably makes them worse, which, of course, is... Yes. Uh, number two, they really wouldn't want to give any fodder to their mothers who have told them how dangerous it is. Uh, Hi, Todd's want, mom. Yeah, we don't. You don't want your mom to know how dangerous it really is. Oh Lord! <laughs> you might want to make sure she skips this episode. Yeah, this is, this is a very mom, mom. If you're listening, hang up. <laughs> this is a very sobering conversation. Well, so far, so far, the thing that's stuck in my mind, really, and and David is not the motorcycling uh, psychiatrist for everyone, but so far, I, I've gotten a Tyrannosaurus psychology out of this. <laughs> is that we're all actually in search of a Tyrannosaurus to chase us down the road. I mean, that's really what we want here. Well, until I've we get that. Probably, eh. I've been working on some presentations. I do PowerPoint pitches and so that I can offer at rallies and things. And I'm working on one now that I'm going to offer at, at Ride West BMW in about mid-January. You know, and uh, it's um, the trickiest component on a motorcycle, colon, your brain. And what it amounts to is, you know, we've had hundreds of thousands of years of the human brain developing to get where it is today. And basically, in a nutshell, we're trying to ride motorcycles at highway speeds using the caveman brain that was designed for walking. And and we can't bridge the gaps. Why do motorcyclists who should know better ride into situations at double the speed at which they can get out of it and then crash? Why do they do that? Well, part of it is because the They're human stupid. brain... Well, the human, it's not just the type T here, you know. It's not just the ape hangers. We're talking, we're talking. The human brain, uh, you know, can't compute how uh, energy gets so much bigger, so much faster. If you said to somebody, "Let's see, if you could stop your motorcycle, whatever it is, from uh, say 20 miles an hour in uh, say 30 feet, and you doubled your speed to 40 miles an hour, how long would it take you to stop?" Well, it's not just double; it goes up exponentially. Here's somebody running as fast as he can. How fast do you think you could run? Not very. I like <laughs> well, give, me a, give me a speed. You know, I mean, uh, seven miles an hour. No, no, no. You can That's do that. That's not running. It isn't. You're, no, walking's I, like four. Okay. Yeah. I, <laughs> you twenty. About two. You know, if you're really fast, you could do fifteen, sixteen, maybe eighteen miles an hour. Right. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so let's say you're running as fast as you can. Uh, away from you, the guy that wants to talk to you about money <laughs> or whatever. The, and husband, the angry husband, I don't know. But anyway, you're running as fast as you can and you look over there to the side and here is a really gorgeous chicky babe over there, you know, with all the bumps in the right places. And you look <laughs> here for two seconds while you're running and then you look back where you're going. Okay, well, how many feet would you cover? Well, I don't know, but it's it's not much. You know, at 18 miles an hour, two seconds, you don't cover much distance. But let's say you're riding your motorcycle down the street. What motor? What bike are you riding today? I'm a, on a uh, a Thruxton. A Thruxton. Okay. So you're riding your Thruxton down the street there, and and you look over, and here's the here's another equally gorgeous chicky babe. I assume you like chicky babes. I mean, I, that's like, a safe <laughs> assumption. 
<laughs> you are you are fairly safe making that well, assumption. Well, I, I have to watch it these days because not everybody is. But anyway, so you look. Not over that there's here. anything wrong with that. There's this there's this chicky babe with all the bumps in the right places, you know, and and you look at her for two seconds. Except you're doing sixty miles an hour. How many feet do you cover? A lot more. A couple of hundred. You know, well, a lot can go wrong in a couple hundred feet. You know. Yeah. I mean, so. Yep. The human brain, which is used to glancing over at cave women at you know at running speeds and surviving you know when you try and put him on a vehicle which is capable of doing faster speeds than the human brain has really ever experienced before unless you fall off a cliff you know in which case it's, <laughs> and then doesn't experience it very long <laughs> oh, well don't learn much from that when you fall off a cliff. The, the brain functions that were designed for walking and maybe running maybe horseback you know but not the speeds that we're doing. And so, of course, we get fooled. And one of the big foolers on that is just impact forces. So back up to running at, okay, you guys are, you're probably a wuss, so you're doing 12 miles an hour, right? <laughs> He's got my numbers. <laughs> so you're doing 12 miles an hour, uh, and you look aside for two seconds, and you look back, and there's a tree right in front of you, and you slam into the tree. Kabunk, you know, and your head hits the tree, right? Not Would, entirely a hypothetical exercise. And then every time from then on that you have a haircut, your hairdresser says, you've got a huge scar on your head, and <laughs> well, you say, I but, ski. Well, but my, my point is that you probably don't die from that. Nope. Now, if you're skiing, nope. and you're going down, you're going down, are you an uh, extreme skier? You're one of these guys that goes over the cliff at 80 miles an hour? I try to avoid cliffs, but I'll, I'll go on steep stuff and trees and things like that. And okay, so so let's say that you're skiing downhill or riding a motorcycle downhill or on a level even at 60, 70, 80 miles an hour, and you look to the side and look back, and there's the tree at Kowam, and you smash into this tree. Will you die? Chances are pretty good. Instantly. And so the risks change simply because of the speed, and our brains fail to comprehend the forces. It's one thing to comprehend what it feels like to slam your head into something because we've done it and survived. It's another thing to say, I'm going to hit this so hard it will kill me and and process that. (laughs) You better think quickly because it's going to be Think uh, fast. (laughs) Oh, shit. Yeah, right. I can remember I was was down in the California desert and uh, a famous motor journalist who you would recognize, but I'm not going to tell you his name, except that he lives in a Tascadero, you know, said, you know, you really ought to go take this neat desert road. You know, there's nobody out there, but it's a neat road, and it's only about 80 miles, about 40 miles of it is paved, and there's 40 miles of gravel or so, but it's really a neat place. So I followed his advice, hooked my front tire in a sand berm at speed. Oops. (laughs) This is a fully loaded BMW 1150 GS. Um, I mean, fully loaded. I've got everything on the back. I've, I've got the bags full, you know, and so forth. And and I got into this situation that you guys have probably been in where you start drifting downhill and you feel like if you try and catch it or correct it, you're going to crash. So you, you allow yourself to drift downhill. And the further downhill you drift, the deeper the sand gets. <laughs> okay, That's just not ending Club. well. Club. And, and, and ain't going to end well. <laughs> okay, now, as somebody who asked me about this later, you know, asked me, how fast are you going? I said, about 40. And he said, well, you know, maybe a little slower or maybe a little faster. Well, that didn't dawn on me at the time. I thought I was in pretty good shape until the front tire hooked. (laughs) And so the front tire hooked into the sand berm, right? And ah, off in the desert I went. 
and so here I am now suddenly heading out through the brittle bush. I don't know if you guys have run into this stuff or not, but it's it's little uh, little tiny bushes, and they just explode. They have no strength, and they if you touch them, they just fracture into a zillion pieces. And I remember just having time to think, this is going to fucking hurt. <laughs> you know? True well, words. <laughs> true words are never spoken. But anyway, so a little while later, I woke up on my back, gasping <laughs> for breath. Black was on its side, still running. Paka, 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 sitting there waiting. I had to catch my breath. I was just out of breath. I, I had knocked the wind out of me. But the idea that you have this fraction of a second to say, oh, oh my goodness, or whatever it is you're going to say, and that's about it, and <laughs> and bam, then it happens. But our caveman brains are just uh, not well equipped at this point. After all, we've only had motor vehicles for about 200 years out of millions, and we're just not really equipped to understand what the force is going to be if you smack into something at 40 or 50 miles an hour. So kind of the key thing is, in addition to Tyrannosaurus, which I can't get out of my head now, <laughs> the, key, the key thing is is that we go into this and we assume the risk is, you know, I'm special and the risk won't be mine because we just don't have the mental hardware to understand what the risk is. Uh-huh. And we don't want to understand what the risk no, is because no, we we're going to scare ourselves off too. the bike. Yeah. I want to know. We, I remember when I first started riding. You know, the, my first motorcycle was a Suzuki 150 Twin. I was commuting on the ferry from Seattle to Bainbridge Island every day. Did that for years and years. Anyway... So I'm standing up, kind of watching Seattle disappear in the background, and he comes up and he put his hand on my shoulder and he said, you know, I wouldn't want my son to ride one of those. <laughs> I can't say that I asked him whether, you know, whether he'd like to comment. Uh, I didn't especially need somebody who was a father figure at that point. I had one, thanks. I thought at the time, you know, how ridiculous that there are people who know nothing about the risks of motorcycling who are going to offer their advice about this, like doctors. I went up to the, he was an ophthalmologist to get my eyes checked. He saw me carrying a helmet, and he launched into his anti-motorcycle tirade. Basically, I said, I think, eventually, look, could could we just get on with the eye exam? (laughs) (laughs) Motorcycles are bad for your eyes. Well, they are bad for your eyes, but... You know, but anyway, he yeah, was when they probably them. all the bad to your eyes. Have you ever got a June bug in your eye at speed? I'm telling you. you know. <laughs> Wear a helmet, full face visor. Well, yeah. <laughs> See? See? I'm, I'm, I'm dismissing the risks. Look at you go, Chuck. Yeah. yeah. Chuck's like, everything is fine. <laughs> well, Shut up, there's not ice. Don't tell me what to do, old man. <laughs> <laughs> well, see, you know, we, we have to do that because if the risks are great and we actually do come to understand how, how big the risks are, then we have to say, well, you know, now that I really do understand the risks, do I really want to keep doing this or not? And a friend of mine, I was telling him about some of this, and he said, well, where is it written that you must you never give up motorcycling? You know, once you start riding, you must never give it up. And I said, well, it's not written, but wouldn't my friends feel that way? (laughs) (laughs) I'm at an interesting place, Mm -hmm. you know, in in terms of thinking about all of this and and having crashed twice after over a million miles of riding in about 45 years or so. It always uh, startles me when I see somebody who clearly, when I look at them, clearly does not appear to understand that there are risks to this. Why are you looking at me? <laughs> Nothing. <laughs> uh, I always like to say that I, I ride in a state of partially terrified. Well, you know, years ago I had some friends uh, tell me, if you stop being afraid of the bike, you probably ought to get off. 
And I didn't mm-hmm. quite understand what they were saying because I felt that you really don't want to ride scared. You know, that's not good either. But I, th- I think now what they were trying to tell me is that it's a lot more dangerous than you think, so don't let your guard down. You have to be kind of scared. Yeah, yeah. well, scared enough to realize that there are that there are big risks. I mean, I, I yeah. think yeah. the way that's kind of how you stay alive is uh, that it activates the parts of the brain that are going to do things automatically. It's a Tyrannosaurus! Well, let's let's be honest. There was probably a girl watching. That helps too. <laughs> well, you know, there, there might have been. But uh, you know, I'm I am not going to be afraid of any more carnival rides in my life. No, <laughs> the, the giant rubber band things and stuff. I, I won't go on those because I'm scared of them. But now I, I have no reason to be. This this respected Type T guy. If you don't take these risks, you know. Yeah, you're not hardcore. I'm going <laughs> to eat the carnival popcorn. Damn it. <laughs> Now that's hardcore. Adventure. I'm riding, I'm riding my motorcycle all through the winter. Granted, it has a sidecar, but I am riding it all through the winter. Therefore, I'm invincible. <laughs> well, that's different. Guys with sidecars are invincible. <laughs> As a matter of fact, I've had a discussion recently about this, too, is that I have this friend who who studies all the statistics and, and who offers up the odds, and I said to him at one point, well, you know, driving a sidecar outfit, um, I think, it really does help manage your, your risks. Hmm. And he said, no, it doesn't. So we have a we have a, <laughs> an impasse there. Because uh-huh. I really feel it does. There are certain things that sidecars don't do, like suddenly fall down when you hit a grease spot or an edge trap or something, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They have other little characteristics they do, but... Uh, <laughs> like not turning if you don't know how and things like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, stuff like that, but... <laughs> Mostly the people who kill themselves driving sidecar outfits, you know, never got a clue. They didn't get any training or any, you know, didn't read a book or, you know, whatever. And that sort of thing is available today to people. And they say, huh, I didn't know it was available. Yeah, well, you dumb jerk. <laughs> yeah, sidecars are kind of interesting. I, I always kind of have to chuckle when somebody comes along and says, let's say there's some disagreement between whether or not somebody thinks that a Can-Am Spider is a motorcycle or not, or mm. that there shouldn't be a report of the Can-Am Spider in Rider Magazine or whatever. Sure. Because it's not it's a not motorcycle. Hardcore. Mm. As if As if somebody had actually asked them to define motorcycle. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. But in their mind, they have decided what it is, and... You know, and so somebody will ride in and they say, well, look, we're all in this together. So as long as we're all on two wheels, we should get along. Uh, oh. <laughs> Wait a second. <laughs> oh, hold on. Back up there. <laughs> no, one, two, three. Crap. Disqualified. Yeah, yeah, obviously not. Um, I can get it onto two. <laughs> well, you have a spider? Uh, no, I actually, I have a, a Ural Patrol. Yeah, but I'm uh, I'm going to be riding through the winter because I'm a giant moron and yeah, don't well, understand no, the risks. Moron. Just make sure you get good knobby tires. As a matter of fact, you know you can buy screw-in studs from Maristitch. If you're, I have permission now. <laughs> what, what climate are you riding in? Where's your location? Uh, Utah, home of skiing. Utah in the winter time gets frozen. It's 16 degrees this morning. <laughs> yeah, so uh, you can. Um, my advice is uh, get a honking dirt bike knobby for the rear. You don't mm-hmm. much care about the front of the sidecar, but the rear. Is where you want your traction. Anyway, the nice thing about a sidecar rig is that you can slide and drift and do circles and all sorts of things mm-hmm. without falling down and hitting yourself. I don't know how those donut marks got under the MSF parking lot. That's they right. must have been someone else. Yeah, yeah it must have been some <laughs> screw-loose kid. You know, yeah. Wait, no, that's, like that's still Todd. <laughs> I also have a, um, there are people around, I'm sure the engineers at Bombardier Recreational Products would say, well, a spider is so stable that uh, it would never go up on two wheels. 
Well, that's because you're not trying hard enough. <laughs> that's right. There's, when there's a challenge like that, there's somebody who is going to stand up. <laughs> challenge. Well, challenge accepted. Cundiff uh, Simmons is a chief sidecar instructor uh, in uh, Southern Virginia, and uh, he he basically supervises or teaches all of the three wheeler courses in Virginia and I think the surrounding area. Cundiff sent me a picture of him flying a spider on two wheels. Just he also. He had some guys from, uh, who was it, Lehman, Lehman Trex, who Lehman was in bed with Harley for a while, you know, mm-hmm. and Lehman felt the same way, that you couldn't get the inside wheel up on a Lehman. So, <laughs> so he, he had one out on the range, and he had some Lehman guys there, and so he proceeded to fly the wheel up on the Lehman, and their eyes Ooh, got big. Scary. Said, Whoa, you know, that's impossible. <laughs> no, it isn't. <laughs> Apparently not. Apparently it's not impossible. So That's, that's daring. Well, Cundiff takes uh, great pride in being able to do whatever it is that you said couldn't be done with a three-wheeler, at least. When you get the sidecar wheel off the ground, how many wheels does your motorcycle have at that point? Still handles with a direct steer, other than unless you want to hold the wheel up, in which case you can counter-steer it up. But, yeah, two kind of, I guess, would be the best I could come up with. Two wheels with a big heavy thing on one side. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So steering then reverts to two-wheeler steering, for the most Mm -hmm. part. I mean, when you're steering a, a two-wheeler normally, you use direct steering a lot of the time and counter-steering some of the time, and it's all a continuous process. But a lot of people don't comprehend that when they're trying to drive a, a sidecar rig and the sidecar wheel comes off the ground, that steering causes roll, just like mm-hmm. with a two-wheeler. You know? Yeah, how else do you hold it up and ride across the whole parking yeah, lot while or bring it down. screaming and yelling? and it's, it's Screaming and yelling and people clapping and cheering and, and with their eyes big and pointing with their fingers, you know. That flat. never happened at the BYU fireworks. Uh, that's that's one thing. But the other, the, the bigger issue is uh, the guy who is not quite sure what he's doing, who is out mm. with a sidecar rig and goes around a right-hander, <laughs> the sidecar flies, and he is absolutely stumped. His brain says, I don't know what's going on, and I sure as hell don't Panic. know what to do about it. Normally what happens at that point is the guy steers right, slams on the rear brake, and rolls it. Duh. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you because know, that's how you roll one. So I actually went and took the step course out in uh, Hood River. Did you? Um, yeah, and and, the, and then I'm I teach MSF courses on the weekends too. And the MSF has a three wheeled course, but it's uh, it's strictly for three track vehicles. They don't well, do. It's, it's strictly for trikes. Yeah, strictly uh, for trikes. And uh, you want to know why that's the way it is? Why is that? Out of curiosity. Well, in the good old days, I contacted the MSF because I knew some people on the staff, and I said. <laughs> you guys have any uh, any mind to do a three-wheeler course? Sure. Um, and they said, well, I don't know. What, what do you got? And so you know, I volunteered to send them the curriculum that I'd been working on. I sent them a disc, a CD, you know. I mean, and months later, maybe six months later, I got a huge package in the mail. And some uh, expensive MSF lawyers back in Washington, D.C. had printed out every single page on paper and put this in a box and returned it to me. Now, let's see, I sent them a disc that had everything on it, and they printed it out on paper, and they're sending me the paperback, right? Mm. Well, uh, lawyers like that kind of stuff. You know, lawyers, <laughs> lawyers like paper, I guess. And, and a letter that said, it is uh, MSF policy to not review unsolicited material. <laughs> and so I, I had you know what that of, sounds like? That, that sounds like the policy that uh, TV shows have. That they won't they re- won't review unsolicited material on the off chance they do something similar, uh-huh. and therefore you don't have any copyright frame. Because yeah, thank. Okay, so fast forward a few years, and by then um, I had been trying to teach sidecar courses 
around the country and, and out of my wife's kitchen, and I was going nuts, you know. And fortunately, the Evergreen Safety Council offered to take that program over, which they did. Mm-hmm. And they have renamed it the Sidecar Trike Education Program because you need to roll all three-wheel motorcycles together to get enough numbers mm-hmm. to make it. Sure, yeah. So uh, so they developed a course. And uh, fast forward a few more years, MSF calls up. And uh, mind you, this is about in the same time frame that BRP uh, is just starting to release... Of the spider. Okay. Mm. BRP is big. You understand how big BRP is? They're like Boeing. Yeah, they make uh, they, all the snowcats, most of the snowmobiles, snowmobiles, all kinds of crap. Beats, uh, you know, they build uh, another division of BRP, builds um, fast bullet trains, um, intermediate mm. jets for <clears throat> regional transportation. You know, it's a big company. They apparently join the Motorcycle Industry Council. Because they got big bucks in their pocket. They got deep pockets, right? The Motorcycle Safety Foundation is funded by major manufacturers like Harley and Yamaha and Kawasaki and so forth. And And, BRP. Yes, BRP. Well, let's see. BRP, the only motorcycle they build is a trike, right? And the MSF has said, we don't do no stinking three-wheeler training. And here's BRP. (laughs) Yes, you do. (laughs) (laughs) Little rectangular things with dead president's pictures on them, you know, I mean, that does this cause you to change your mind? So phone rings at Evergreen Safety Council, and the MSF would like to send up a representative to audit the STEP. Uh, we want to see if you're doing it correctly, because we're the authority. <laughs> it's not a trap. How about we'd like to see if there's any ideas we can steal from you? <laughs> okay, so they do. So they go back and they looked at the um, at the basic rider course, which is their standard two-wheeler course, and they just added a few cursory little things about trikes in there to make do. Yeah, everyone I've talked to says there's about there's about two three pages different in the book. And granted, the book is thirty pages long, so three pages is ten percent yeah. change. But even so, well, that that makes it their three WBRC. Mm. Well. I'm going to withhold my judgment about it, but I guess you know how I feel about that. But anyway, I can, I can guess. Getting a feel for that, yeah. I, I definitely thought it was lame. There were no sidecars, but that's true. BRP doesn't make sidecars. But doesn't <laughs> anything about three wheelers in general that are important. In other words, what are the valuable things to know, and did you and did you cover it? Mm. Uh, so still, they don't cover sidecars, and um, and as far as I'm concerned, that's good because um, I think the um, uh, Evergreen Safety Council does a pretty good job these days of of getting instructors certified and, and offering that course. Pretty uh, great course. God, I'm terrified. Uh, <laughs> man. Oh, winter riding thing suddenly feels a lot more dangerous. You know, this isn't what I was expecting. <laughs> no. <laughs> to talking to him. It really wasn't. I mean, I was expecting, I'll, I'll be perfectly honest, I was expecting someone to kind of reinforce my own prejudices. Of, well, if you if you know what you're doing, you're, if you're okay. Everything's going to be great. If you got the training and you wear the proper gear, mm-hmm. you have mm-hmm. proper street strategies, you will be a proficient motorcyclist and not have to be scared. Everything will be fine. <laughs> nope. Wow. <laughs> Damn. Okay, so like I said before, I, I ride scared mm-hmm. because that I'm kind of a cautious person anyway. Sure. I am not this type T personality he was talking about, I think. I don't look for dinosaurs to chase me. <laughs> dinosaurs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's... it's um, that's, that's some serious food for laying thought. It, laying it on the line. Stating very clearly, yeah, we know motorcycles are dangerous, but we say that. Well, yeah, it, we, they're dangerous. Yeah, we know. Okay. But that, that, that's always the answer you give. Yeah, they're dangerous. Yeah, whatever. 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 Yeah. You and fast everyone else. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Ski in the trees. Whatever. Yeah, you know. yeah whatever. 
you know, daughter cycles, my uncles, cousins, roommates, brothers. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna throw that out just because just because motorcycles really are dangerous doesn't make those people any less stupid. <laughs> just throwing that out. Just because they're right doesn't mean they're not stupid. Yeah. <laughs> just just because you're right doesn't make you not a douche. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so motorcycles are dangerous. Yeah, which which shouldn't be surprising, and yet when you are forced to internalize that knowledge, it's like, uh, I don't want to, it's, no. I'm special. Me, me special, me invincible. I, I am, I am indestructible. You're, you're youngish, 30-ish guy. I'm invincible. You're a certified nothing, motorcycle trainer. Nothing can hurt me. I, nope, nope, never, no surgeries, no, knees are both good. Yep. <laughs> no, I, I stopped. I stopped feeling invincible around the time of the first knee surgery. That, that kind of thing. That was a wake up call. <laughs> that kind of thing's a bit of a wake up call. Yeah. Hey, stupid. <laughs> <laughs> Listen. Yeah. You know, I, I, and I am a late thirties. You're that guy. You don't want to say a joke about that late thirties. No, no, it's fine. You sure? No, no. You know, it's December. I'm like four months away. I know. Uh, Can't wait. You sure? It's gonna be a great show. Nothing you're gonna say. It's gonna be a wonderful right. show. I've got a three-year-old daughter, you know. I'm the, the sole provider in the family. Those yeah. are big things. That's it. That's all. That'll and to have this guy, this David Huff, to <laughs> say, hey, you can die. <laughs> Which, yeah, I guess you, you always you, knew, but... You knew, but you, he's telling you, hey, I've got numbers. <laughs> no, really. No, I, no, really. You can really, die. Really, really. <laughs> it can happen. That cool vintage bike you've got, you could wad up on it. <laughs> Listeners who are trying desperately to just uh, wave this off, uh, proceed. <laughs> I, know, I know the minute we stop talking about it, I'm, I mean, already I can feel my brain trying to be like, eh, 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 eh. <laughs> I'm, uh, mm, eh, you know. I teach I safe gonna, motorcycling. Well, you know, the teaching is one thing. It doesn't make you any safer. I know a few of the techniques. But they're not, as he says, that's not the safety. But <laughs> safety is apparently mostly illusory. But <laughs> yeah. hey, you say that, but do you really? No, no. And, and, and that's the funny thing is, I can say that, and I can logically say, yeah, I know it's unsafe. At the same time, I'm not going to stop. No, <laughs> I'm safe. Do I go out? Well, and, and maybe it's that. Maybe it's that I have to go out willfully denying that I can't be safe. Because if I go out and be like, well, I'm just not safe, I'm like, fuck, it's wheelie time, bitches. <laughs> yeah! <laughs> See, I was going to go the other way and, and say, if you go out consciously saying to yourself, I'm not safe, I'm going to put this on Craigslist. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, I can't go out saying, I'm going to die. I got to go out thinking I'm going to do everything I can to make a difference and make it safer for me. And right. Because if you're too scared, you're going to be freezing up, not making the right decisions at the right time. Well, and frankly... If I'm too scared, I'm just not going to ride, and I don't want to do that. Yeah. I want to keep riding. If we like riding. Means, if that means I have to fool myself a little bit, then so be it. Yeah. I mean, we like riding. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We haven't had two crashes, and we're not, you yeah. know, late 70s. Mm-hmm. We don't do this writing books. No. Nope. <laughs> Screw you, David. <laughs> Boy, I can't wait till next week. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's uh, very, very sobering stuff. But at the same time, I guess he, he makes a good point, is you can't completely stick your head in the sand at the same time. No, you know, you, it's, it's asinine. You got to take your risks. Motorcycling is dangerous, Chuck. Your motorcycling is dangerous. <laughs> Your mom was right. Uh, Especially on a Buell. I can hear her picking up the phone already. Oh, God. Oh. You need to sell that thing right away. Well, she has to tell her boyfriend that, so that's not going to happen. <laughs>
She'll start with you. It'll be easier with you. You're her son. (laughs) (laughs) She knows me too well. (laughs) Don't do this. I'm doing that! (laughs) Because inside of us, there's always the 14-year-old kid who's like, (laughs) I'm going (laughs) to... You know, I'm laughing at you, not with you. Yeah. Just so it's clear. Yeah, I know. We've seen the pictures of 14-year-old Chuck on the bike, okay? That wasn't 14-year-old Chuck. That was like... Awkward, big, thick glasses, young Chuck. That's like 10-year-old Chuck. Now, now i got to say, those those big glasses and you looking at you, little munchkin, you're the guy with that voice. Oh, God, you terrible. <laughs> I went in the red and I fell. <laughs> <laughs> yep. <laughs> That's why I didn't start writing until I was 35. <laughs> young Chuck to the rescue. Hey, guys, wait. <laughs> I found my D&D books. <laughs> I know that 20-mile backpacking trip we were on was really tough, and you guys had to carry my backpack. But look, I brought all of my D&D books and dice. Now we can play. Please don't beat me. That doesn't sound entirely hypothetical. Oddly enough, it's not. <laughs> I learned a valuable lesson that day. <laughs> How to climb trees really fast. <laughs> <laughs> so what have you learned this week, Chuck? I learned motorcycles are dangerous, and I probably should hack the Thruxton. I've learned that motorcycles are dangerous, but I can't force myself to care. <laughs> Which is weird, because I'm like, I'm looking at an illogical person in the mirror, and I'm like, you're nuts. Yeah. You're okay. still you're still teenage Todd. Screw you! Screw you! Older Todd! Safe people! <laughs> Screw you, older Todd! I'm going outside! Wheelie, bitches! <laughs> Get my Corona tank top and my backwards ball cap. Great stuff (laughs) and that's all we got time for this week until next week i'm todd and i'm chuck ride safe everyone ride safe everyone we better see you next week if you like this podcast you can find more like it at wheelnerds.com this has been a wheel nerds production all rights reserved readings from other sources are the property of their respective owners and are used with satirical intent